I try to transcribe their thoughts into their dream home. Because like then at the end of the day, like my job is to make you feel like you're in a hotel, but like your hotel. And that's like the best feeling because you're completely relaxed. You're just so happy. And a lot of the times, like it's hard to get that sort of feeling on your own. You're listening to the You Might Be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Todd, an average everyday girl with a nine to five job and a passion for storytelling. This podcast takes you behind the scenes in discovering truly inspiring personal success stories from all kinds of individuals and how they paved their way into becoming their own version of a badass. I speak with entrepreneurs, nine to fivers, stay at home moms, athletes, and everyone in between. My goal is to discover the different depths in which we define what it means to be successful. Success means something different to every person. And ultimately, if you're pursuing your passions and living life to the fullest, you too just might be a badass. One of the many lessons we have learned during this pandemic is how sacred our home is. For most of us, we have spent the past nearly eight months inside of our homes, which have now transformed into our bedroom, our office, our gym, our restaurant, our place to relax, and so much more. Spending that amount of quality time at home is something I think we can all agree we weren't expecting, but puts into perspective the need to enjoy being there and having it feel more safe and welcoming than ever before. Admittedly, for the past several months, I have spent a good amount of time daydreaming about what my perfect home could look like, saving down the most aesthetically pleasing images of a cozy living room or an oddly inviting bathroom on Instagram. Today, I sit down with a friend of mine who happens to do this sort of work for a living. Her name is Lauren Reyes Lim, a seasoned interior architect who realized her passion for drawing and art could be turned into a real career in the design world. After working for a few companies outside of college, she decided to make a run for it and start her own company, creating dream homes and businesses for her clients. Today, she shares all about her experience taking that initial leap of faith and even gives us some quick tips on how to easily transform any space, even while on a budget. Lauren, so excited to have you join me today. Thank you for being here. Hi, Rich. Thanks for having me. This is going to be so fun. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> I've been, we've been listening to your podcast. Uh, I know I texted you like last week about it, but it's been on our on our uh, commute playlist right now. You're so sweet. Yeah, it's been, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun for me. I mean, I know that I'm the one who's doing it, but I think it's just been really nice to kind of like peel back these layers and and just talk to people on a on a really kind of deep level to understand like what makes them tick and Mm -hmm. and you know all of those background stories that I feel like people don't get to tell very often yeah well excited (laughs) to be here well let's let's just go ahead and dive right in um why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you do sure um my name is Lauren Reyes Lim uh I am an interior designer I am an entrepreneur I am 
a boss, a wife, a daughter, an aunt. I am everything across the board. Um, I have a company called LVR Studios that has, of yesterday, is four years old. Um, oh, thank you. And so <laughs> crazy. It's nuts. I kind of like attune it to it being like a toddler now. So it's like starting to walk and like be its own thing. Um, yeah. And out of the terrible twos. Out of the terrible twos, which is a thing in business for real. Um, because it's like there's all these stages you go through. But yeah, that's that's essentially who I am. Um, I am a second generation Filipino American um, woman of color who owns her own business. And that's what makes my world go around right now. <laughs> I love that you listed off all of the, you know, quote unquote extras. About yourself. <laughs> you know, you're a daughter, you're a wife, you know, there's, there's all of these um, things beyond just our occupation. And, and maybe I need to get better about asking that question, but I loved how you answered it. Thank you. Um, so you're, you own your own interior design business. Um, at, at what point in your life did you feel like you knew that that's what you wanted to do? Uh, for interior designer, for having my own company? <laughs> I guess for both. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's let's do interior design at, at more of a basic level. Sure. So I have always been a creative person ever since I was little. Um, I grew up knowing I wanted to be some sort of artist. I taught myself how to draw at like age six, and that became like a whole journey for me. Like, from a very early age, I knew I'm like, I'm going to make money drawing somehow. And I made that a reality, like as I got older. So the, when I got into high school, and everyone was like, Hey, what are you guys going to do with your life? What kind of college do you want to go to? <laughs> I was, I literally had it narrowed down to which profession in art will make me money, <laughs> you know, and like, yeah. be pretty stable at it. So I really had a I was at a crossroads between like architecture and interior design and when I really kind of like put the pros and cons together for both um interior design for me was more colorful literally so they had, it had architectural aspects of it you know a lot of what my job is really interior architecture and the decorative part of it is really the bonus um so I thought this was perfect and the, you know I, the rest is history I went to college for interior design in New York for four years and really like honed my skills and um, my college years up until now. I don't know why, but the the four years thing is surprising to me. Yeah. Maybe that's a little bit of a misconception of that industry, but I didn't realize that it was such a long um It is. Process. It is. And you know, there is a big misconception with my profession. A lot of people think I am a decorator. And in truth, there is a big definition, you know, gap between what is a designer and a decorator. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I am interchangeable between both because a lot of times people do come to me and ask for my expertise and how to put and style a room together. And that's completely not a problem. But I think, you know, the biggest thing with those two professions really is that designers go to school and you have to go to school for what we do because there are so many technical aspects um, and code related things and like just health and safety that you have to realize when you start doing and working in someone's house or commercial property, a hotel, everything. There's so many like small technical things that people don't even notice. And then it's kind of like branches into different aspects of it because we work with contractors and architects and plumbing and engineers and like we have to know what we're talking about um yeah. so four years of school like 
really prepped me for how to how to put drawings together, how to learn AutoCAD, which is like a major program um, in my heyday. Now a lot of kids use different programs, just insane because I like completely miss that that um, that hill. <laughs> but like, there's so many like even creating like 3D renderings for my clients, like we're all taught that in school because um, visual visualization is a huge thing for our industry and a lot of our clients can't really see the final picture. So we yeah. even learn how to put that together, like what it's the pretty picture and what it's going to look like. And um, it's a really rigorous training process. A lot more, a lot of colleges are either very conceptual with interior design and architecture or very technical, which is what I was more trained in. Um, so technical, meaning like we learned how to, you know, codes and systems, um, health and safety, how, you know, what is considered load bearing for walls. You can't just like knock down a wall if someone tells you, you know, you have to kind of think about, is there something above this wall that's supporting the entire house? Um, yeah. There's so many things, right? So it's like, for me, we're considered more like interior architects. Um, it's just that the definition or like, I guess the sort of say, across the board, it's just more of a designer respect. Yeah. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. <laughs> I, it sounds like it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's fascinating though. There's all these intricacies that, I mean, I'm, as I'm learning and talking to different people, there's so many nuances to every job yeah. that from the outside perspective, you would, you would never get. And, um, so I like that. I like that we're kind of feeling it back, mm -hmm. but I, I didn't recognize, or I didn't know, I haven't heard of the term, um, interior architect. Is that was it you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in Europe, actually, designers, interior designers are called interior architects. It's not even interior designers, not even like their their official definition. So over there, like when you're a designer, you're an, an interior architect. Um, obviously, yeah, with architecture, you go through a licensing process and everything. And we do have our own form of um, certification licensing too. It's completely optional. It's really like if you want to be that person who signs off on drawings and stuff like that, but. Oh, I typically okay. have like an architect who works with me to do that for me. So there's like, there's a lot of levels and layers to it. And then if you're a decorator, you know, you're just shopping for furniture and picking up paint and like all the fun stuff too. And it's, yeah. it's a hard job. Like then I, I don't discredit anybody who is a decorator because that is a learned skill and you really need an eye for it. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I could barely <laughs> things in a room that match you know <laughs> well so where did you land after school what were what were the first couple of yeah so I went to school in Manhattan I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology they have a great interior design program there um and you know throughout my school career I was interning a lot in different firms like every summer and then throughout my school year itself after school when I graduated it was in 2010 um I basically found myself in sort of like the post-recession era. So it was kind yeah. of like, we're not sure if we're going to get a job yet or not. So I was hauling ass like every single day after graduation, just applying anywhere I could find a job in New York, in LA as well, because I was like, there has to be a market for a new grad somewhere. Um, I wish in retrospect, I took, I would, could, if I could go back and tell myself to just chill, I would have. <laughs> like, I don't know why I had this urgency to like, find a job right away post-grad. Um, like I had that whole summer because really, literally as soon as September rolled around right after Labor Day, all of these opportunities came. And wow. one company found me online first before I even applied to them. Um, they found my portfolio on this like really big creative sort of website 
asked me to come in for an interview. So I did that following Monday, I think. And then I got my first job um, at this branding company that specializes in Fortune 500 companies. So basically what that means is that they create interior branded environments for really big, big name clients, airports, things like that. And that was my first job out of school. Wow. Yeah, it was kind of nuts. It was like the whole progression of how that happened was like, can't really make it up. Because I was just like, again, I was applying everywhere. And then turns out that my first job was something that found me instead. Yeah, it's it's interesting how that works sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I, I like how you work. You had to tell yourself to relax a little bit, but I think that just speaks to your drive, right? Yeah. Like you, you have this like kind of hustle mentality that you just have to go from one thing to the next and, mm-hmm. and make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for it's always, sure. Always an admirable skill, but I understand that it can be sometimes stressful because you have all of this pressure yeah. against yourself. Yeah, I, I don't know why I've always had this like. It was always like my mentality every ever since I was small, little like is like do or die. Like I just need to be like onto the next thing, onto the next thing. God, when I was even applying for jobs after graduation, I even remember having my dad like fax in my resume and my portfolio still, and that was like still a thing back. Then. <laughs> I was like, Dad, you're at an office, you have a fax machine, you need to send oh this for God. me. So it's like I was like pulling all my resources really, like trying to get something. Yeah. I remember my dad, so I moved back home for like three weeks Mm -hmm. after college and he's the type of person who is like a, you know, let the bird fly from the nest. And so he came into my room after like two weeks with like a printed out list of all these available jobs and was like, (laughs) that's so funny. I was like, all right, got it. I'm out. Um, well, back to you though. Um, so at what point I'm assuming you had a couple of jobs working for other people at what point were you kind of like, I'm ready to branch out on my own. So I had moved to LA about six years ago. Um, after, and that's after being in like going to school and living and working in Manhattan for almost eight years, I had, I needed to change. So I was going through, you know, just like, I'm just like, I need a new change of scenery. So I left home, came here to Los Angeles and started working for another firm. And it was like three years into working there where I was feeling really creatively stuck. So I was at that point of my career, I was managing this project of a 22 story tower. I was working on a high end residential, like pretty much not by myself, but with like only a team of like two or three, really small. And it's like, yeah. we were wearing so many hats and I was really much more of a project manager. So it didn't get to do that much, like a lot of creative, a lot of drawing, which is like more of what I love to do. So I kind of like felt that I just wanted an outlet somewhere else. And I started like just reaching out to like my friends or people I knew in the industry who could be connected to something or someone and I was, I would just put out the feelers and say like, Hey, if you know anybody who needs a house or house or whatever done, like send them my way. I'm just more than happy to like help work on a small side project. Um, it didn't, it actually happened so much faster than I thought. Cause as soon as I put that feeler out there, something came back to me probably within the month. Like one of my, Whoa. yeah, like one of my best friends who is in the construction industry here, um, connected me with this, uh, developer and basically he had bought his first his first house too in Los, Los Angeles and then so we got to meeting and then it became a really great first impression 
Um, and now we've been working on his house for like the last four years, still working on his house. And it's been like my favorite, my best project. Um, but like what prompted me to like really branch off on my own was that when I was working on his house on the side next adjacent to like my nine to seven, not even, it wasn't even like a nine to five. Um, I would like work my day job, go home, eat dinner, and then work from like seven to like 1am for almost a year. Just like oh really like side hustling so much just to make sure I did this one right. Cause I was like, I can't even do this one right. Like what makes me think I could even do anything else. Right. So I was like really trying, like putting my all into this. And then the year after that project was commencing, I was starting to get more referrals um, and a lot of word of mouth. So I was starting to work on like really like side, like odd jobs here and there in, in like pockets of restaurants or retail, like some other someone else's house and then it just got to the point where it's just a lot so my then boyfriend at the time was like you just need to do it cut the cord so I did (laughs) cut the cord we traveled for like a month and a half and then we came back and then I like went full uh full on full-time LVR studios (laughs) so it was just kind of like the journey of how that happened Yeah, I got chills a little bit. I love that. I love that kind of moment where you're just like, okay, I just, I literally just have to take the first step. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Otherwise, at least for me, I second guess everything, whether it's a little decision or a big decision Mm -hmm. for myself. Yeah. So I can imagine something huge like that. You were probably hesitant thinking about Mm -hmm. all of the things that could potentially go wrong or the, all the scary things. Definitely. It was like, I, and I'm not going to lie, it was like a very unstable thing still. Like there was no, nothing was signed yet. I had no like full term contracts or like year long projects like waiting for me. It was just, I I just had this realization where I felt like I was, you know, wrapping up with one part of my life and this just felt like the natural next step. So I just leaped into it and somehow it just worked out. But that's what I think like, you know, happens when you like really take that next step when it's so uncomfortable, you just know what to do because you have to feed yourself. That's really like what drives you as like an entrepreneur or like a business owner is that you you just find all the resources to, to do to keep fueling what your monthly expenses are, like, you know, just keeps your lifestyle going. Because I haven't had to compromise my lifestyles even when I quit. Um became very resourceful and like just trying to keep up with what I had and then just like keep improving upon it. So it's been a crazy thing. (laughs) Literally sink or swim. Mm -hmm. It really is. Like I do still feel like my head's above water most of the time, but that's, I think that's just a natural feeling with this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what was the actual process like of, of starting the business? Like how did you determine if you were going to have people work with you, like all kind of those, those details. For sure. Um, in a linear sense, like what I did when I got my business off the ground was that I registered myself as an LLC or my company as an LLC, like right away. That was one of the things that was so important to me that I do off the bat because with interior design, um, especially with our, with bigger, more like big budget projects, we purchase a lot of furniture for our clients and a lot of their pieces. Like that kind of goes through us because we have trade and industry discounts that we like to pass through. So basically what that entails is that you need an EIN, you need like 
a business banking account, seller's permit. Like I needed all of that just to feel like I was legit. So I had to make sure I was an LLC before anything else and get all my business banking accounts like done and checked off. And then I was able to get all of my paperwork like properly filed and organized just so I could start purchasing for my clients. Um, because it's like, you can't like a lot, like whenever we apply for trade discounts with um, like major retailers, let's say like a West Elm or a CB2, like they actually ask you things like what's your EIN number, what's your seller's, seller's permit number. So I had to have all of that even before I could oh, even wow. consider. Yeah. And then they consider you like a designer now once you have all of that sorted out. So that was kind of like the, one of the first things I did off the bat, um, even before I quit my job too, just to make sure I had a separate entity and, you know, just to protect myself too. Cause you never know, you never know what, like what could happen with, with business. Um, yeah. And then even from the early beginning stages of it, I've always known that I've needed help. Like I can't, I could do a lot of things, especially in the, in the forefront, like by myself. But when it came to really like production as type of things, when it came to technical drawings or things like that, I always actually outsource that to contractors or freelancers, either whether it be my friends who are looking for side money or a side hustle or just like to an outer network of younger grads, like fresh grads, that kind of thing. Um, because personally, like in my career as an interior designer, I'm, I guess like if I were to work in a corporate um, company, I'm around like a senior designer, like almost kind of like higher up there. So a lot of my skill sets lately were more into like the project management, creative direction, and like really leading the tone of the project. And so technically like I'm not I I I have all the skills but I know there's someone else who's a lot better at it than me so I'd rather just like outsource that and have someone else do it and I just check it off and see if it's right kind of thing so so humble yeah <laughs> but I have to be because it's like I don't have the time to figure this out and then it just becomes billable yeah. hours that I'm wasting so I'd yeah. rather have someone else just do it for me <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Um, I think outsourcing is kind of like the secret sauce mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Um, you know, it's definitely a cheap way to get, or quote unquote, cheap way to get, you know, different tasks done. But I heard somewhere that um, if you're putting something off work-wise yeah. for more than three days, you should be outsourcing, mm-hmm. which is such a crazy thought that I Right. I think like, a lot of people will just sit on something and like waste so much time yes. trying to learn it or, or thinking that they can do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I, I like that reminder. I think that's really important. Oh my gosh. It's, and it's so helpful. And you know, there are people who will be more than willing to do it for you too. And that's like what I had to be okay with letting go a lot of, a lot of these things too. And at the end of the day, it still comes before you, you still have to take a look at it. So it's just, you know, as long as you, hire the right people too and know that whoever is working on it is very very capable and just like a very nice person <laughs> you know that's that's all you could really ask for um so it, that's always been like my not one of my like sort of quote-unquote non-negotiables like as a business owner even from the beginning like I always had someone helping me on the side just whether it's like a one-day job or of like a couple months or like you know full-time yeah are you well pre-covid mm-hmm. were you in an office space no, <laughs> I've been working from home pre-COVID for most of the time. So working from home is not uh, foreign to me. It's Yeah, this is a walk in the park for you. <laughs> it's a walk in the park, but you know, it's so different still. Like I, I learned how to navigate working from home. First year working from home was so hard. I actually mm-hmm. do feel like it's the same 
now what then like compared to like where I started because I think I was still trying to find my footing in between like these years I think I developed better routines and every day is now really different but now during COVID it's like oh my god I'm so much more tired <laughs> you know yeah yeah mm-hmm. you're completely drained in it's basically so... every other mm-hmm. place <laughs> it really is yeah but you know and I was working from home I worked in a lot of co-working spaces too like I would actually call up some friends or people who are in similar situations as me and then we would just like go find a nice cool co-working space or coffee shop and then we would just sit together and work so like, that's kind of what I would always do too because you need yeah, you need that you like you lose your co-workers when you start off on your own so you do need like interaction um, a little bit of yeah, yeah. It's just something otherwise you're just <laughs> you're just talking to your dog or like yourself <laughs> so like I I felt like the need to like find human interaction in my almost day-to-day <laughs> it was such a it's a it's a thing like and I feel for like the people who can't work in an office right now I know some people so love it like working from home and but I know on the flip side I do hear that you know some people need love that human interaction like the water cooler talk and like going out to lunch yeah. getting a drink after work like that's a, it's a whole culture in itself and I personally miss it <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like every day is a different mood for me in it terms is. of if I, if I love it or if I hate it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it definitely is is shaking things up for sure. Yeah. Um, I would love to talk a little bit about your marketing, how you found your brand mm-hmm. first of all. Um, maybe we can start there. Yeah, I feel like I'm not gonna lie. I still feel like I'm still trying to find my brand, my voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with marketing, I actually do work with a really good like social media agency, and they've been sort of helping me lift into finding what my personality is out there in the world, and like really helping me put ourselves out there. Um, we do a lot of like, I guess without getting too, too strict, uh, technical, like we do a lot of organic and paid social and paid marketing advertising too. And that's kind of like how we're sort of branding ourselves out just to kind of have a voice in this big community. Um, but otherwise it's been, you know, a lot of our traffic comes from Instagram. And so that space is like becoming the new Pinterest in the, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've actually noticed that now that you say that it's very, it's very inspirational, aspirational. It is. And the people like, like the mood board, especially for like a design um, account too. They like, I think there's like a nice balance of like, like, you know, wanting to find a nice inspo board and, you know, it's trying to see who the person behind that page is sort of say. So that's what I've, you know, we've been working on like how to grow, um, literally actually had a meeting today about how we're going to start growing like me as a brand and the company as a brand too, because it could, it's pretty much like two entities coming into one and how, when you think of LVR studios, do you think of me first or is it the other way around, you know? So that's kind of like how we're trying to navigate through um, this next phase of like what my company is going to be. It's very much still at its early age, uh, stages. You know, we are testing, we've been testing the waters for the last year and it's been really great because we've gotten so much great engagement, especially with working with some influencers too, who's been really helpful for like my process. Um, but that's sort of like how, you know, where we're at right now. <laughs> when you're talking about the, what people think of first, it reminded me of um, that photographer, Gray. Oh, Gray Mallon. Mallon, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So when I think of him, I think of his work first. Mm-hmm. But he's so present 
within the brand as well, right? You see him pop up on his own feed all the time. Right. So I definitely think that there's a balance of when people hear the name, they associate the work, Mm -hmm. but you're also a part of that brand. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a great, it's like a, it's a crazy branding exercise that we're going to start working on, you know, and you're going to, I think you'll, you know, you and you'll, our friends will start noticing like the changes that we're going to start to make, like between like my personal and my, my business Instagram too. So that's kind of what we're working on right now. So, you know, good. Well, your personal is going to change too. too. Yeah. Cause it's kind of like oh, wow. interwoven in that way. You know, I like whenever sure, I, you are the brand. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of like when I see a designer and I see her company, um, I actually look for the designer first before the company. Cause it's like, you want to know the person it's kind of like, this is actually a literal example we had this morning. Um, it's kind of like, you know, Joanna Gates before her Magnolia brand, or, you know, you know, um, you know, Jeff Bezos before Amazon. So it's kind of like the same sort of working mentality we're trying to create, like, in a smaller sense, obviously. Um, but that that sort of branding mentality is very powerful. I mean, that's a very true thought. If, if I'm looking up your own personal brand Mm -hmm. do I want to see how your house looks probably basically yeah and (laughs) it's always a thing that like my clients ask me all the time it's like what does your house or your apartment look like and I'm like honestly we're not there yet okay (laughs) but I could show you like what I've done not me yeah (laughs) so it's like yeah it's like a work in progress and um that's essentially like what we do for marketing I would say for the most part a lot of our projects have been word of mouth the majority of them has been word of mouth. It it literally pays to be nice because a lot of the referrals I get are from people in past, uh, like people I've had past working relationships with, not even in the same industry. It's like someone I would have met like in passing and maybe we had a few days together just doing X, Y, Z. And then all of a sudden they get a phone call or an email, you know, from them saying, Hey, like, I know someone who needs their, their house done or like they have a restaurant coming up like I and I thought of you so and it's oh, 100% of the time it's panned out Aww. so it's it, you know again like it pays to be nice like you have to just you know, keep you know your reputation and just like you know be very friendly especially in a work environment because you only have one impression on everyone and for the most part on my end it's it's worked out to my favor um, I always advise students to younger designers to like never burn their bridges because this, our industry particularly is very small. Um, so everyone yeah. like knows knows each other. If they don't know you, someone who you know will know them. It's like a whole thing. Um, and there's never like the referrals will just come if, as long as you are a nice person. <laughs> So. imagine that as advice just be nice it really yeah things will work out for you really does like you know wow. just don't talk smack about anybody because like people will remember <laughs> you, like you like talking bad about someone you know like no one's going to want to work with you if you hear if somebody hear even hear something close to that but like totally. I used to when I was working in my last job like um I mentioned I was working on like a really tall tower and that was kind of like a crossbreed between apartments and hospitality so they had like a whole front desk and everything and I made friends with everybody at the front desk too because I was there like every single day just trying to like make sure this thing was operating fine and then even just from like creating those relationships I got so many referrals um like years not even like not not like immediately but like years later like after the fact after when I opened business so again like you just have to make sure you know everything across the board is very kosher and PC yes yes what would you say your 
kind of workload is between houses and businesses? Um, that's a good question. I think right now it's a good like 70-30 split. Um, I think 70 houses. Yeah, 70 houses like residential and 30 like commercial and businesses. Um, probably mostly due to COVID um, because, you know, a lot of people are trying to redo their houses right now and this is like the perfect time. Um, it's kind of you know and then a lot of like supervise the projects yeah and you know a lot of unfortunately a lot of small businesses and just commercial properties are just not open at the moment but it's not to say that it's not like that we're not working we're actually we're actually working on a couple matcha shops um across the states right now so that's kind of like where my 30 percent is coming from um it's a lot of fun i love matcha yeah it's great (laughs) we're opening um one up in princeton um at the beginning of the year next year uh, by the university and there's a couple more popping this way hopefully soon the same the same brand the same brand yeah oh is it jinbi yeah Am I saying that? Yeah, you are, you are, Jinbi. So we opened like the first two Jinbis, not open, we reopened, renovated the first two Jinbis um, in LA at the beginning of this year. And Jinbi is doing an expansion right now where they're franchising out, which is such an amazing Amazing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we're starting with New Jersey and then sort of slowly moving uh, across back to the West. So stay tuned for all of that. It's going to be really exciting. Um, But we're excited for Princeton because it's a bigger... Uh, it's a bigger footprint. It's a lot bigger than Westwood and Roland Heights, which is what we worked on. It's a brand new, not a brand new space, but it's brand new overhaul. So I, I feel like that's going to be very special. Totally. Mm-hmm. This might sound like an obvious question, but I, I feel like I have to ask it because I'm sure that there's somebody who is thinking it or has thought it. But what are some of the benefits of having or hiring a interior designer? Sure. Um, That's a really good question because, again, it's like, it's one of those things where people don't feel like it's a necessity. Um, Obviously, I'm advocating for it because I am one, but (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, there's so many benefits. And one of the biggest pros to, like, having a designer work with you in your space is that you are bringing on a professional that can really maximize your room, your house's full potential. And like, what I mean by that is that we can visualize a lot more through the surface than what you're probably seeing. And we come in with like all of these schemes, we come in with plans, um, layouts, basically how it could be really laid out properly um, and what, um, and if you have like an aesthetic or some sort of like inspiration images that you feel like what I do is I like, come in, I put my filter on it um, because like I don't come in like thinking I'm going to overhaul it with like what I feel like my design is going to be. Everyone has a preferred aesthetic. So whenever I have a client come on board, I ask them to send me their own Pinterest board or their inspiration images. And what I do from there is I like, create mood boards for the house with my filter on it based on what they were thinking about initially. Ah, okay. So it's kind of like I I try to transcribe their thoughts into their dream home because like then at the end of the day, like my job is to make you feel like you're in a hotel, but like your hotel. And that's like the best feeling because you're completely relaxed. You're just so happy. And a lot of the times, like it's hard to get that sort of feeling on your own because you're so like you have so many decisions to make and then you have decision fatigue and then all of a sudden you're over budget and 
it's like all these things that just start mm-hmm. adding up and then where I can come in what where interior designers can like really make you feel like this is such a process that's worth it is that we can we can create that final picture for you and it's going to be a lot more than what you expected so that's kind of what I feel is like what's very important with having a designer on board. The other thing, I think one of the other things that's like very obvious too, is that a lot of people don't have a really good grasp on scale. So like when they start putting their own house together, they tend to buy things that are like maybe 10 times too small or 10 times too large. And then it gets, it shows up through their house and then it's like, crap, this doesn't work. Now I have to haul the sofa back. <laughs> like, how am I going to do that? You know, like bringing someone who's on board who kind of does this for a living, I could avoid all of that. <laughs> like all of the heartache, yeah. all of the, like the money and time wasted um, because that's just an easy mistake to do. And it's like, it happens so often, you know? So often. Mm-hmm. I recently was redoing my apartment and living room. And by recently, I mean about a year ago, because I no longer live there. Um, <laughs> but we had just gotten these brand new hardwood floors in. And so we decided we really wanted to elevate the room more and kind of build off of that. Mm-hmm. So we bought a new TV stand. And from the pictures, it was like this really beautiful, beautiful, like kind of modern mm-hmm. uh, looking piece. And it got here and it was like half the size. Oh no. It was like miniature. Yeah. It was so small. Oh no. And it was one of those things where I spent like four hours yeah. assembling it. So I wasn't about to like undo it and mm-hmm. send it back. It actually still looks fine, but like I can totally relate to that. In the yeah. moment you're like, well, what? what is this this doesn't look right at all <laughs> that's not what the photo showed me it looked like it could fit yes. in this room they were sneaky with their photos they I tell are. you around to make that thing look bigger oh my god thousand percent it's like <laughs> in every project I do every time I walk into a space it's like and then I look at it in like a floor plan I'm like it, it's never the same feeling it always feels so much smaller actually when you go into someone's room versus when you're yeah. seeing it in plan but at least like where we could come in it's like I could actually draw it in plan for you and then like measure out the dimensions to the T like to the quarter yes. inch so that I know it's gonna fit and I stress that so hard because like Gosh, I've been in jobs where a quarter or eighth of an inch mattered. And it's like the client went ballistic. So it's like, I make sure we always capture everything to like the um, the end. It's so important. It's so important. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's money. Like you don't want to spend over again. Who has time for that? Like no one has time for that. Right. You said when somebody gives you their vision board, you kind of help Mm -hmm. bring that to life a little bit more. Do you ever... um, kind of like label it as something I feel like yeah everyone has a quote-unquote style mm-hmm. I'm curious of how sure like if they're contemporary I, or they're like rustic yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what, what's your style like my style I think is very um it's a you know it's a good mix of like California chic meets pop of color texture and I don't know what that word is because I feel like it's a whole different thing because I don't want to say it's like a maximalist because I'm not I'm very much much a minimalist in that sense but like I love color I love pops of color and I love textures and like natural materials and in every work that you'll see of mine it always has those elements in some sort of way and I like to bring like the California feel somehow in that too just to like intermix so it's kind of like a very fresh way of looking at design. Um, 
that's not really boring. <laughs> so that's kind of like yeah. my approach there. And a lot, I have a lot of clients who come to me with their vision boards, their inspiration boards, and it's a, it's it varies across the board. Everyone is so different with what they want, but it ultimately kind of gets filtered to become very in like through my filter. It very much becomes like a really naturalized like leveled up version of what they were thinking initially. Do you ever have someone give you their, you know, their Pinterest mm-hmm. board and it's like too many ideas, like they don't mesh? Yeah. And that's where I come in and help like really tailor it down. So yeah. we, my, the way we work on our projects is through phases and basically phase one of every project is concept development. And what that means is that we will take what they sent us and then we'll kind of reinterpret that into what we think is going to be the best cohesive look for the whole house. And we do, even if someone's only doing like, say, a few rooms at a time, we still stress that we want to do the entire house just because you're kind of creating storyboards now from beginning to end. Because the last thing you want to do is kind of come in and create a storyboard or a mood board for a room at at like the ninth hour. And it doesn't, it's kind of like you're starting from scratch. Like you don't feel like you're, you don't feel like that's like tying in now with like the living room or the dining room. Mm So we'll create like sort of different schemes for each room and find a cohesive continual way to bring that all together. Um, and that's kind of filtered through like what they've sent us and what I feel like is will work best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that project that you were talking about earlier in the conversation, your friend's house, mm-hmm. you said it was probably your favorite project to date. Yeah. Why is that? You know, that client, um, he and I, like, I think off the bat, we had a really great working relationship together. Um, It was one of those, like, client-designer relationships where if he didn't like it, I didn't like it. If I didn't like it, he's not going to like it. So it was easy for me to, like, make decisions because I feel like we had a really good um, read on each other. And then when it came to designing his house, he let me be very, very creative. Like, I was able to push the envelope with materials, with the interior architecture of the space. Like we were, I was able to play with a lot of color play and a lot of texture play too, which is a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of people are like hesitant to even go there with a lot of, you know, the trend nowadays is to be very like white walls, white sofa, white everything. It's very Instagram. Um, <laughs> but whereas like with this project, I was, it was like an explosion of color in a really tasteful way. And I was able to like really use so much special, like, materials and a lot of really amazing stone and wallpaper which is like a you know my thing I really love using wallpaper and we were able to like find really fun ways to incorporate all of that it's like every room kind of like felt like a surprise in a good way um and we're still working on it too which is you know so much fun for us so it's like a project that just like became like a like literal labor of love I feel I really appreciate that wallpaper is making a comeback yes. I feel like it was almost like mm-hmm. taboo for, for you know, a while the last 15 years or whatever yeah. to, have, to have any wallpaper but now it's it's making a resurgence and I love it it's- right it's so good <laughs> it's like and there's yeah. so much great product out there now it's like it's not what you think it's not like your mom's house from the 80s where they had you know their wallpaper but there's so many like amazing artists and graphic artists and just companies who like really stepped up their game and it's like to your aesthetic now you can find any color like in any pattern it's so good yeah yeah it's almost um a replacement for, i mean it <laughs> that's dumb 
a replacement for paint, but I feel like mm-hmm. it's just making it so much easier for people to be able to design yeah. and make that kind of a focal point of a room. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in a situation where, I'm not sure if the one that you were just describing was, where like money was no object, you could just do anything? Certainly in like in old jobs, I felt that, I mean, it wasn't really, it wasn't my company, so it's hard for me to say. I would say like for one of my recent projects, I've had that sort of freedom to not obviously to do whatever I want, but it felt like money was no object. Um, it was kind of like, well, this is what we were expecting it to be. Cause every project I set budgets for, um, part of my job is also that I'll go line by line with the floor plan next to my client. And I'll, I'll literally go, do we want to pay this much for this, for this, for this, and we'll like really kind of determine what the end total will be. Um, so some budgets are, you know, heftier than others and, it's not to say that every project, you know, is not as fun as the as the one with the biggest budget or not. I do find joy in smaller budget projects because it's just so challenging and we have to be very mm-hmm. strategic with that. And I end up, so you know, sometimes for the most part, I end up loving those projects because it's like, oh my God, we made it happen and how amazing it is, you know, with like what yeah. we were given. Um, it's so rewarding, I'm it's sure. It's so rewarding. And then even with our bigger budget projects, which I've been fortunate enough to work on, it is a lot of fun because I get to be very, very creative. And it's, uh, as I mentioned before, like we can push the envelope with like, with materials and like how, how really extravagant or really lux we can get with like that type, because there is like, there is a price point in a range with even marble and stone and like just different types of woods you could use or like area rugs, like having something custom made versus having it store bought, like there's a, there's really an A and a B and it's like, do you want to spend, you know, X amount on a rug from Nepal or do you want to just buy it off the shelf? So it's kind of, you and you literally see the quality and you feel you like you feel it when you walk into the space, like how immensely special it, it becomes. Yes. Yeah. As I'm, as I'm getting older and caring more about what my house looks like, I'm realizing just how expensive rugs are. They are. (laughs) A good soft rug that you like place your feet on. Yeah. It's a thing. Well, and even you can buy secondhand, Mm -hmm. which is so crazy. People take, like, if you take care of a good rug, it will last and last and last. And I love that you said that because a lot of what I love to do too is um, vintage shopping and antique shopping. LA has so many great shops here, like for that market. And it becomes such a joy, like finding treasures in those, in those shops, whether it's a big or a small one, but you'd be surprised like how many amazing area rugs you could find there for like half the cost. I'm really bad at finding those things. So I'm <laughs> hit you up yeah, after. yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. You'd have so much fun. And if they're really I, well I taken care it. of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so speaking of that kind of realm, if I was wondering if you have any um, sort of tips that you might be able to share Mm -hmm. um, for somebody who potentially is looking to not necessarily redesign, but freshen up their space, Mm -hmm. but have some sort of budget in there? Yeah, definitely. Um, There's a myriad of ways you can go about read to freshen up your space. One of my biggest rule just across the board, even whether you are buying or not buying, is to not buy all of your furniture from the same place. Um, It's a huge no-no for me because it just ends up becoming a showroom (laughs) for that one company. So you always want to just mix 
your furniture across the bat and just kind of have it very like obviously it all relates together but you want to make sure that it, again it's just not from this one from one store um my other big tip for you know wanting to refresh your space is just to repaint your room um it's such an inef an expensive, easy way to like kind of make your room just feel super different. Colors are very subjective, so it's really up to whoever, like what your vibe is. I think the easy answer would be just paint it white. Um, and if it was, if you are to paint your walls white, make sure it's a crisp white, not like a soft, like yellowy type of white. In those, that really yeah. matters because you see it. <laughs> um, and you know, the you know, a lot of the major paint suppliers now have like specific whites that look good in any room. So that's kind of like. What I would suggest if you're kind of looking just to overhaul um, your space completely. With that though, I do recommend if you are painting your room to always at least get like two or three sample pints of the color you're thinking and like paint swatches on the wall. Because half the time, if you are going into it and then day becomes night and you're looking at your wall, you're like, oh my God, fuck. <laughs> this is not, what am I doing? <laughs> this is not, this is not the color I think. It looks so different. So I, I always encourage everyone to just like literally paint on the wall and then like live with it for a day <laughs> before they make a final decision. Um, but that's what I would suggest. And then like, I think one of the easier things to do too is to buy a lot of plants. You know, there's so many amazing nurseries around Los Angeles, like local nurseries too. I think tall trees, tall, like sculptural looking plants instantly brightens up the space. And whether you tuck it in a corner or have like a bunch of them together, it's like a really surefire way to kind of make your home feel very comfy and just like really aesthetic too. I love it. I just wish I could keep them alive. <laughs> <laughs> or fake plants. They have fake plants too. I have no, I have no thing like think thing against fake plants either. No one knows. I mean, if you're just like shooting it for the gram, like how can they tell? So <laughs> Yeah, that's very true it's fine that's you know it's okay like the green is like such an it's funny because like green is very in your face but like in any space it just literally brings life to a corner so I always yeah, like advise everyone to do yeah. that mm -hmm. yeah well maybe we can pivot into you specifically versus you as a business owner sure um and get to know some of your kind of day-to-day -day habits yeah um what what would you say are some of your non-negotiables for the week to kind of set you up for a good week? Sure. One of my biggest non-negotiables, just really, I think, kind of ironic, is that I have to turn off work at six o'clock. Um, so every, and th this took me a while to become okay with, but uh, for the last like year and a half, I have all of my apps, my work apps specifically turned off. Literally, like it's a setting on my phone I have and they all become like, blacked out and I can't open it up everything is completely off limits until nine o'clock the next day so for me my work day definitely ends because I need to make sure I have time to myself to like just you know be my best self really for the next for to prepare for what tomorrow will come will come and bring um so that's like one of my biggest things I turn my my do not disturb actually comes on around seven because I don't want any phone calls at that point anymore. And if it's an emergency, like, you know, they will, they will find their way through, but I'm not, I don't allow any phone calls like past a certain hour all the way up until the very next day, like around like nine Oh five. And then, um, even then, you know, I won't answer like any text messages, especially if it's from clients or emails or things like that. I'm just very off. <laughs> um, and I stress that a lot to my, even my team, you know, we work from a certain amount of hours, 
And after that, I'm like, I'm, I'm gone. You guys should be gone too. <laughs> like no one works overtime here unless you have to. Um, other non yeah, you have to because it's like work-life balance is a thing. And I don't subscribe to this hustler mentality that comes with entrepreneurship. I think it's so toxic. And obviously, like the first year I was doing this, I was like pulling all the stops just because it's like my first time doing it. And I had to like really show up for myself. But like the more I started doing it and the more the years have gone in, it's not healthy at all. It's not sustainable. So I learned just to be okay with just like waiting till the next day. Like it's not like the world's going to go on fire, like in the, the these next 12 hours, you know, while I'm gone, <laughs> everything that's important can wait. Yeah. And I feel like that's difficult for an entrepreneur to figure out mm-hmm. is kind of setting those barriers. Cause like you said, you just want to deliver and, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. make it so that people appreciate your work, which obviously they do. Otherwise they wouldn't keep referring you and, and right. you know, back yeah I remember in my in my first job when I was working sometimes I would stay at the office from like 8 a.m to like 11 at night it's so bad seriously but my mom would call me and she would be like you know the work is gonna be there tomorrow Mm -hmm. which like you can't tell somebody who is you know entering a career at a corporate job that (laughs) as I'm getting older and, and making my own decisions with with how I like to show up for work, it is it is a nice reminder, and especially for somebody who owns their own business. Oh yeah, no, I I heard a funny quote when I was working my my day job like a couple of years ago. It was from another coworker of mine, but she was just like, "Why would you ever work overtime? Pretty much like your uh your value or like your worth as an employee like decreases after six or something like that." And I was like, "That is so true. Like, why am I doing?" This? So, your quality has gone yeah, down. Yeah, like it's and it's like you're however they're paying whatever they're paying you, it's not even worth it anymore. <laughs> so you know, so even with my own team, I'm like, everyone just needs a clock out of five. That's that's it. Let's wait till tomorrow. It's fine. Other non-negotiables I have during the week is that I have to get a workout in. So pre-COVID and everything, you know, I was working out in the mornings, um, just to sort of set my day set my mood right because that was like the you know the best way that I could really help take care of myself I always made it a point especially with like if I had a day full of meetings or if I had a big presentation I had to make sure I had got a workout in because I felt so unstoppable like after finish working out that when I would go to my meeting whether it was like a good meeting or a bad meeting like I would still feel like nothing could ruin my day at that point so it's like one of those things where like I tell I like to tell people if they feel like they have a stressful day coming up just get some sweat in and then you'll just feel so good like you know whatever happens at least you just like showed up and you feel so strong about yourself yes it's such a mood elevator for sure Mm -hmm. for sure I'm a morning workout person as well I feel like it just sets the day for so much success oh yeah and um I remember like I would, I would, I'm such a morning person as is. So pair that with working out, I would show up to the office around like 830. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I'm ready to greet everybody that I see. Hi, good morning. Hey. Yeah. And everyone's looking at me like, no, <laughs> like, I, I, I need my coffee. <laughs> it's just so funny. Cause like, I never was a morning person either until like I started waking, like forcing myself to wake yes. up. 
to do this. It's, but it's just the only way, I think. Like, I've tried working out at night. It's not the same feeling. And then now I'm just, like, up and so energized at night <laughs> that I can't go to sleep. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's kind of, like, what I need to do for myself. Um, it just it just sets the tone and it makes me be a better person too. Cause it's like, if I can't even take care of myself then like what, what makes me think that this business could be just, just as good. <laughs> and I apply that with life with everything. <laughs> oh. um, what about any um, like wind down or, or evening routines? So wind down. So after I'm finished with work, for the day, like I immediately go into making dinner. I love cooking. Um, I cook almost every day, and it's just one of my my quiet joys. Just because I get, I like to get very creative when I'm cooking too. Um, so I'll cook dinner. Uh, my husband will be home by then from work, and we'll have dinner together at our dining table. No phones. Probably some sitcom in the back, and like we're just talking throughout the day. And then at that point, usually my dog comes up to us wanting to play, so then we'll play for with him for like fifteen minutes. Um, and then usually after that, like it's part of my wind down routine. After all, like the chores are done. I will start watching TV. My husband will play video games and that's like our alone time. (laughs) So that's kind of like how in a way I wind down before I go to sleep. That's, I mean, that's important time. You have to kind of, I mean, if, if that works for you, Mm -hmm. some people, you know, want to be together, you know, the entire evening and there's, and there's no wrong in either end, but um, Mm -hmm. whatever kind of like mental space that you can take for yourself and yeah bring yourself back down and, and prep for the next day. That's important. Oh, for sure. It's so important. Cause like my husband too, he works, um, he's a nurse. So he works all day, like doing that at the hospital. And, and I realize like how much he needs his time whenever I always tell him, like, whenever you're playing video games that make personally, it makes me so happy. <laughs> so, Cause it's like, you could be, you know, chatting with your boys and like, I know like it's all our friends. It's like my brother too. So it's like, he's oh having God. so much fun and, I get to watch TV and like be on my phone <laughs> like for, for a couple hours. Is, is he ever? Is he one of those guys who like curses at everybody else? No, no, he's no. really sweet. He's one of those guys where he like he reports those people. <laughs> so he's really funny in that sense. He's like does not handle the toxic like the toxic nature that comes. With it. That's so funny. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's kind of what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what about any guilty pleasures? Oh gosh, <laughs> so good. I love really good reality TV shows. It's like a thing. I could, be, and like the worst thing about it is I could binge watch all of it in a sitting. So like reality TV and Korean dramas are like my biggest guilty pleasure. Oh, oh my God, I, love I love it. Yeah. Is it, is it that it's like mindless for you? It's mindless. I don't know why. I'm always so drawn to slice of life type of things, like lifestyle-esque types of media. So I love watching people's processes. <laughs> like even on YouTube, like one of that's like a guilty pleasure of mine too. I love watching like day in the life, like or week in the life videos. Cause I'm like, it's so interesting. Like this is what makes you you and like this yeah. is how you're so successful. Like I, there's something to it. So for me, that's why I like to watch it. Cause like with all the drama, I guess, that comes with it, there's always some, like, some aspect of it that, like, is a little relatable. So for me, it's what's, like, really entertaining. And then, like, I can zone out to it, too, at the same time. Yeah. It's funny that you say that, because I also have a similar, like, attraction to Mm -hmm. what what makes people tick, right? Yeah. So that's sort of what this segment at the end is sort of for, but I almost want to do, like, a deeper dive 
of like almost like these specialty episodes and talk to people like like many people in one episode just to like dive into those habits and like what they do to actually set themselves up Mm -hmm. you know some people meditate some people journal like I love all of those things that really help people kind of just set themselves up you know yeah and there's definitely truth to all of those I guess like habits sort of say like Mm -hmm. there's obviously a formula somewhere you know that has led to a lot of success in these people. And it's like, you kind of want to understand what they're doing, right? That maybe I could apply, like I could apply to my own life. And I'm always curious to see the process, you know, the behind the scenes. I always love watching how they got there. I hate the pretty picture, you know, because it's never, that's not how it it is. It doesn't tell me anything. It doesn't tell me anything. So it's like the fact that maybe they could fail every once in a while, because that's that's part of life, like life and business. It's like, you're in a fail. Like, what are your losses look like? Like, how does a bad day for you look like? It's kind of, that's what really gets me going um, because it just makes it a lot more relatable. I like that. How do, what does a bad day look like? I might, <laughs> this, I might be adding that to- Yeah, uh, like, it's a thing. We have a lot of bad days. Entrepreneurs, with, with being a business owner, you have so many wins and you have so many losses. And I could count how, I could count so many of the losses we've had and like a lot of the wins too. And it just comes with it. Of course. That's how you get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, so I always save the best question for last because I think it's the most important. Um, but I always try to kind of one of the main purposes of the show is kind of breaking down the term success because I think that rightfully so it means something different to every single person. For sure. Um, so for you, what does what does the term success mean? It's a loaded word. <laughs> Very much so. Um, you know, success for me right now, because this is an ever-changing thing, I feel like success is sustainability. Like having my company grow to a point where it could kind of run on its own and I could take a step back and focus on other things. Um, that's what success to me feels like right now. And that's kind of where I'm planning and working really hard to trying to make that happen. Um, if I were to define success in like a personal sense, it's, you know, being happy and just being the best person I can be in like my marriage and my family and like my friends and my network. Like I, I, I view it in so many different ways because I feel like they, it, in certain aspects of my life, it's defined differently too so in a company says yes it's like obviously the growth is would be so successful for me and like having a team you know a really um big team kind of like really lifting it off and then on the personal side it's like we're just being content (laughs) just grateful every day it's my favorite word (laughs) content right means something so much bigger than yeah and it's like you're happy with what is like yeah. not thinking or projecting too much into like what will it, what it can be or what it will be. That's like, that's dreaming to me. And I love, I love to dream, but like with the, with the now, it's just like being happy with what we have, especially mm-hmm. during this weird time. Yeah. It's giving me a little bit of chills. I, <laughs> I think we can all strive for that for sure. And mm-hmm. it takes a little bit more effort in different seasons of life but it really does because like life will throw you so many curveballs and it's like I struggle with it a lot it's like how it's what you make of it it's like how you reframe your thinking it's like how and the people around you like 
trying to make sure you just keep a really good close network of friends who really get you, you know, no toxic anything in your life, just like being just happy with what you have. So that's like always the ever, not the never changing goal, I guess here. That's what we strive for. Mm-hmm. Um, well, before we wrap up, can you let everyone know where they can find you, your website, social? Sure. Um, so you can find me online. Um, my website is lvr-studios with an s.com. And my Instagram handle is also lvr-studios. Um, and my personal is at Lauren Lim with an underscore at the beginning. <laughs> so not, not to um, make that too complex, but we're very active on social and on the web. Um, in terms of finding us online, check to, please feel free to check out our work. Absolutely. And I'll make sure to um, just put everything in the show notes so that it's easier for people Thank to find you. us. Thank um, Well, that's all we got. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Yeah, this was so fun. It was so nice chatting with you. Yeah, I mean, we, we hang out all the time, but yeah. <laughs> never never on this deep of a level of, you know, hearing, <laughs> hearing back to your college days. So this was great. Thank you so I know. much for taking the time. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That's it for today. Don't forget to follow along for more on Instagram at you might be a badass podcast and let me know your thoughts about today's show. And I'll see you again, same time, same place next week.